Hey again, Pastor Susan. Hey, Pastor Joel. Hello, Sunny Siders and friends. Glad to be back. It's good to be with you once again. Um, we are tackling the second week of the New Testament reading plan, which is Mark chapters 8 through 14, uh, which is an intense section. Uh, there's some escalating conflict that's going on. There's like the stakes are, are turned up a little bit. Um, Jesus is getting a little feisty at times. <laughs> Um, so, uh, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. It's an interesting point where the first eight chapters, we see Jesus mostly journeying around Galilee and with the disciples, this, like the story really begins to turn here. Mm -hmm. Even geographically, we move out of begins in Galilee moves into everything really starts pointing towards Jerusalem and many commentators consider this like the beginning of the passion narrative mm -hmm. for, um, for the end of Jesus' life, he starts looking towards the end and, mm -hmm. and really teaching and training those around him what is coming. It's not always pretty. No, no, and that's uh, that's a important point to note. Thank you, Pastor Susan, for naming that because I I always think the passion narrative begins with the triumphal entry, and I don't think passion before that. Um, but you know, this Jesus has intention even before Palm Sunday hits. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's headed to Jerusalem, and then really That's it starts right. happening here. Yeah. yeah, let's um let's start with chapter eight. There's there's like this really curious story of the this healing of a blind man in Bethsaida, Bethsaida, Bethsaida. So I think some translations have Bethesda there. There's a lot of different ways. Uh, so Jesus cures this blind man. It's uh, chapter eight, verse 22, where he touches the blind man's eyes. He spits on them and then, you know, puts his hands on his eyes and then asks the blind man if he could see anything. And he's like, yeah, I can see like trees walking around. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Jesus initial attempt at healing didn't quite take. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Jesus needs to do it again. And uh, there's there's a lot of like neat stuff going on here where I think that both the religious leaders, they're seeing, but not quite. They're seeing shapes, but they're not, you know, seeing in high def, as it were. Mm -hmm. They don't see Jesus for who he really is. And it, it same in, in some way uh, with the disciples as well. Um, so looking when, when you see people and you can only see them like trees, there's a lot more vision you need to have. Yeah, it's I I love that story, right? It really again reinforces this idea that we as disciples are in a process of developing faith, mm -hmm. right? It's coming to Christ and seeing walking trees, which mm -hmm. is such a crazy but easy to to picture, right? And beginning the beginning of vision. We're all in the process of having our vision refined. Mm -hmm. It's the process of the journey of our faith and discipleship. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Well, and, and I wonder if it's something that's coming to mind for me as we're talking, like the, whenever I th hear tree, I think of Psalm one mm. where trees are planted by streams of water mm. whose fruit grows in, in, in its season. And if trees are walking, they're not rooted. Mm. Um, and I wonder if there's something going on here where not that's only so, is, right? are, are, really are they thoughtful. blurry, but they're also not rooted as, as mm. you know, you might see with Peter in like mm. that next story mm. that comes up in Caesarea Philippi. Mm. That's really thoughtful. Just, you know, makes me think about the process of how our faith is growing and build being built just as, you know, like, as you describe, like 
putting down roots and seeing them grow deeply into the soil so that it can continue mm -hmm. to build up the constructing of our faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, the vision of uh, one's vision of faith continues to change um, as we look a little bit further in chapters eight and nine. If we look in uh, in chapter eight, there's a really important conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples in the 27th verse when Jesus comes to them and asks them very directly, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, they answer in a way that is kind of common, what many people of the day may have said. Um, they answer, you know, so perhaps they answer with other people's answers saying John the Baptist, other people say Elijah, still others say one of the prophets. But Jesus asks again, very pointedly, who do you say that I am? You know, not others, not what others believe or what you hear in the neighborhood, but who do you say? And it's Peter who's the first to answer in saying you are the Messiah. So this is a really important text. And again, um, some commentators would say the text really hinges on this confession of faith where Jesus has been with the disciples, healing, teaching, training, living with. Um, and it's at this point where they identify and he invites them to see him as the Messiah. Now he really turns towards and says, okay, here is here is growing faith as we turn towards Jerusalem. So as we look at the text just before it, the, uh, how he heals the blind man at Bethsaida, uh, and, and the, the, the blind man goes from no vision to walking trees to vision. So I think we're invited to see the journey of faith that we are invited to have growing faith and ever clarified and more clear faith as we walk forward and see Christ as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus then begins to teach them and tell them what is ahead of them when they, as they turn into um, to chapter nine and tell them about the days that will come. He takes a few of his disciples with him in Peter, James, and John, and they, he leads them separately up a mountainside. Uh, and as they climb to the top, they begin to see this incredible sight, right? We call it today the transfiguration mm -hmm. because Jesus' clothes begin to become a dazzling white, mm -hmm. such as no one could ever bleach them. Uh, and they, and there with Jesus are Elijah and Moses, and they're talking with him. And, and in this moment, um, it is a fulfillment both from an Old Testament text, and then they hear the words for coming from the heavens that say, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And then suddenly they see only Jesus. Mm -hmm. So a pretty, pretty remarkable time that they have just talked about who some people say right. that he is, right? Then they are mm -hmm. invited up a mountainside and they see those very figures as the cloud comes down and, and descends upon them. And they hear this voice from heaven that testifies, this is God's son, not only Messiah, not separate, mm -hmm. not sent from God, but again, this important text to our Trinitarian theology that says this is God. This is God's son, the beloved, and pointing all of them to this important and foundational um, kind of uh, point in our theology that we, we live and believe today. This is who Messiah is. This is who Jesus is. We're each invited to answer that question. 
and and maybe even to see clearly too mm. that when Jesus is transfigured, all of a sudden now the scales have fallen away, mm. and you can see the contrast with Moses mm. and Elijah, both cool people, absolutely, um, but but not Jesus. Yeah, um, I, Jesus isn't just satisfied though to remain like on the mountain. He then comes down and goes mm. with the people and teaches them and tries to help them see clearly about a whole variety of different things, including. Uh, the beginning of chapter 10. Uh, Jesus has a number of, of teachings that he gives in this portion of Mark as he continues to, um, well, maybe not make friends, but uh, <laughs> uh, aggravate folks a little bit and, and talk about what God's kingdom will, will actually look like. And, and God's kingdom is one in, in which, um, you know, divorce is a bummer. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is what Jesus talks about at the beginning of chapter 10. And it's a hard text. Um, Jesus says some some hard things here, um, but I think that when we're greeted with a hard text, we have an invitation to sort of enmesh ourselves with it and kind of explore it to figure out what is it that God is saying to me now. And here, with the teaching about divorce, it was the case under uh, Mosaic law that um, husbands could divorce wives for no reason at all because mm. they didn't like them. Um, and that's no way to build a society. There's a distinct power differential there. And what Jesus does in this teaching, uh, Jesus is not offering a ton of grace with this teaching, but what Jesus does do is empower uh, folks who, it, at that time, women, who did not have much power in these sorts of relationships, empower them that, like, hey, a marriage actually is designed to last. It's not designed to be a relationship of convenience. And so that means that you can't have men taking a wife and then uh, putting her away is what I think that the law talks about. That that doesn't work. Um, and um, that, you know, there's there are some harsh words here, um, but what Jesus is doing is trying to offer some agency to both parties mm -hmm. in a marriage. Um, and that's something I think worth doing, even if you have to look elsewhere for words of grace um, from Jesus, uh, that, that this is something that, that Jesus wants to do to empower both parties. Mm. But Jesus uh, doesn't stop being combative here, um, uh, <laughs> just keeps on going. Uh, and uh, after entering Jerusalem uh, in, in the triumphal entry, uh, there's this interaction Jesus has with a fig tree, uh, starting in verse 12 of chapter 11, where uh, Jesus gets a little bit hangry, a little bit grumpy that the fig tree doesn't have figs on it, and then, you know, yells at it, may no one eat fruit from you ever again. <laughs> um, and then he goes and he clears out the temple. This is another one of those Markin sandwiches where there's, you know, the fig trees, the bread, and the temple cleaning is sort of the meat of the sandwich. And then in, in verse 20, he and the disciples walk by the fig tree again, and lo and behold, it's withered. And um, it's it's interesting to see how Jesus sort of on a whim, just, you'll never bear fruit again. But it doesn't sound as if it's going to be withered necessarily forever. It's withered to its roots. Mm -hmm. There's some deep injury that is named here. But at the end of the passage, in verse 25, Jesus says, um, whenever you're praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. It makes me wonder if, just as the religious leaders 
could, you know, eventually heal and bear fruit. Um, maybe the fig tree too could someday mm -hmm. heal and bear mm -hmm. fruit. There could be forgiveness here in store for that. Um, there's some hard things Jesus says, mm -hmm. some hard judgments mm -hmm. he makes here. Yeah, I mean, he, Jesus really holds the, the, the priests in the temple to task, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, calling, saying, this is the, my, a house of prayer for the nations, but yet you've made it a den for robbers. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, you know, doesn't shy away from calling a spade a spade <laughs> and letting them right. know exactly what the expectation is mm -hmm. and, and see, showing, demonstrating the consequences, but also bringing forgiveness and mm -hmm. hope in at the end, mm -hmm. which is so critical. Um, so we um, move forward a little bit into chapter 13, and we begin to see the destruction of the temple as foretold. We hear about some of the persecution that Jesus also predicts and warns the disciples will come their way. Um, we Again, I think it's important to look back and remember, you know, the author of this text, they think were was writing this text down about the same time the Emperor, mm. Emperor Nero was just... Right, right. Um, had just died. There was a lot of unrest in the Roman Empire. And so while seated in writing this from Rome, they Christians were under terrible persecution. Uh, they think this probably was written just after Peter was himself crucified. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they are preparing and predicting for the disciples that this way of faith, this way of ever clarifying vision, this inbreaking of the kingdom of God that is very different in its character and quality than a lot of the daily life they know. And even the, the life right. at the, that they know at the temple, mm -hmm. um, Jesus is making, is, is making a different way, but it won't be comfortable. It isn't necessarily easy. And um, he's predicting that there will be hard times that will come ahead. And so he's encouraging them, be prepared, be ready. Don't be surprised by all of, by, by this when it happens. Um, and is, is helping to get them ready. And in that way, then, you know, shares with them the prediction of Peter's denial shares with them the institution of the Lord's Supper. So it doesn't leave mm. them alone and in the dark, right? right. Encourages right. them to be together, encourages them with practices that sustain and nurture faith and in the days to come, mm -hmm. um, but also tells them to be ready for difficult days that are ahead. I mean, when I think about our life and church culture today, it seems a different place to be a Christian in today's North American world than just 20 and certainly 40 years ago. Uh, and I think these are really important things to remember and, and warnings to give heed to um, that the, the walk of faith is an uphill battle. Uh, but, you know, I believe it's worth it growing deep roots and mm -hmm. ever clarifying vision and encountering the nurture of, of Christ um, at, around the table in the Lord's mm -hmm. supper. And as, as we gather and also in the world around us. Yeah, apocalypse isn't fun, nope. uh, but uh, it's something. It's it's something where you're not going to dodge it. Mm -hmm. An apocalypse isn't a threat. It's just a pulling back of the curtain so mm -hmm. we can see what's coming. And I guess what's the phrase? To be forewarned is to be mm -hmm. forearmed. Mm -hmm. um, like and that, so yeah. you know we can see now where we're headed. And so all right, here we go. It's not comfortable, but we're we're 
embraced. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think that in the same way, Jesus, um, uh, in, at the beginning of chapter 14, he knew where he was going. It wasn't comfortable. Um, but somehow uh, there's there, there's a woman who came to him at Bethany at the, right at the beginning of chapter 14, who also somehow had an understanding of where he was going, where she uh, brought some really like valuable perfume um, and anointed his feet with this perfume. Um, and I'm trying to see here, is it with her hair in Mark? I think so. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it might be. I know I know that it says that she anoints them, his, his feet with her hair, with her tears in, in the other gospels as well. But certainly she's anointing him. That um, there's something that is inherently true and good about beauty. Uh, that there's something that's inherently valuable about um, uh, a gift that that may seem to be wasted. I mean, you've got Judas Iscariot who right afterwards says, oh, you could have given it to the poor. Um, and like, yeah, probably, but there's something deeply meaningful about a gift that isn't necessary. Mm. Um, and somehow she knew what was coming for Jesus mm. and, and loved him in this way. Mm. I think this text also helps us orient our life of faith, that it isn't just about doing right. things, right? Yeah. It isn't just about caring for our neighbor and caring for our brothers and sisters. It's about really caring for Jesus. Mm. And I think this woman got that, right? She understood like he will not always be there. And there's also, I think, a, something beautiful implied in, in Jesus' own celebration of his body, mm -hmm. right? And right. he says, I will not always be with you. And I'm inserting, you know, in in a paraphrase, like in this way, right. right? Because he does say he will be with us in spirit and uh, um, to abide with Christ. And he does send the Holy Spirit to be with us. We are not alone without God in this time. But Jesus' body was temporary in that in that era uh, and so that he would celebrate and enjoy mm -hmm. i think that's also a beautiful model and, and dignity for for each of us like we too are invited to enjoy mm -hmm. our bodies right. and to take good care of them and to celebrate taking good care of mm -hmm. our bodies absolutely while uh, as as we wrap up our conversation let's uh talk about those general questions that we've had um, what's God's good news for me in this passage? How does this passage encourage me to live differently? And what's a word or an idea from this passage that resonates for me? I'm wondering for you, Pastor Susan, what's, uh, what's the good news for you in this portion of Mark's gospel? So, Again, I'm going back to the beginning, which may say something about my life of faith again and again. But I, I really love the the passage of Jesus curing this blind man, and him just so again, it's so embodied because it's Jesus' own spit, which is just gross, right? And dirt. Like, who wants a combination of that put on their face if he could see what he had complied? I don't know. Um, but then, you know, just that process. I think it's just such a beautiful. Um, 
explanation of the process of faith, that there is the acknowledgement of faith and the need of God and the the asking, right, for mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. And then the touch of Christ that is so intimate mm -hmm. and that is his own DNA and saliva and the earth that is around us. And then walking trees. I just, <laughs> I love this concept of, um, you know, we are not full or complete, like we are, we are in process and it is mm -hmm. this journey of discipleship that we are invited into. Mm -hmm. so I, I think that's very good news that there is much yeah. grace to be held, much dignity of mm -hmm. God is, that is given to us in, in that incarnational encounter mm -hmm. and, um, just much to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. So, what about for you, Pastor Joel? Yeah, I, I love um, God's good news for me is is the variety of people Jesus interacts with mm -hmm. and has words of grace and truth to speak into their lives. I mean, not only do we have the disciples, not only do we have the folks who come to him for healing, um, but we, we have the disciples in many different aspects arguing about being the greatest mm. who on the one hand say mm. you are the Christ, but then on the other hand, let me tell you what to do. Um, uh, interacts with uh, folks who are little children, interacts mm. with a rich man who wants to know what he must do to be saved, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's even another blind man who he heals mm. in a different way mm. where we are all valuable to Jesus in a way that Jesus can interact with each of us as individuals. Mm. I love that. Mm -hmm. What does uh, this chapter, how does this chapter encourage you to live differently or this passage encourage you to live differently? You know, I think just as Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? I think in he, it encourages me to organize and orient my life to my answer to that mm -hmm. question, really to kind of put the, rubber to the road, right? Um, who do I really say that Jesus is and will I follow in the steps mm -hmm. of the journey of faithfulness? Um, I think it again, you know, comes down to even the example of Jesus and the, the woman who anoints his feet and seeing that it is my relationship with Christ that and my fidelity to Christ mm -hmm. that I'm first invited into everything else follows. What about, what about you? What encourages you in this? Yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit conflict averse. Uh, and I don't love that when I have to engage in conflict. Um, but I, I think that the more that I know where I'm being led, the more that I have a vision for where I want to go, the more willing I am to engage in conflict. And I think that through this whole section in Mark, Jesus, um, I mean, he's not taking prisoners in part because he knows where he's going, mm -hmm. not because he I, maybe he likes conflict. I don't know, but I don't know that he has a particular sense for like wanting to stir the pot, but he knows where he needs to go. And so he's going to get there, even if that means like making some people a little bit unhappy. Yeah. He sees clearly. He right? sees clearly. He sees clearly. Yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. I think I, I need to know, I need to have vision to the, mm -hmm. the point where I'm willing to ruffle some feathers in a healthy way. Like there's an unhealthy way of doing that. And what's something that's resonant for you from this passage? Mm -hmm. One 
and you can only pick one, right? One? Right. I know. I know. Is that a word? Um, is that an idea? Um, sure. It's, you know, I think really it's the idea of walking trees right? mm -hmm. and, um, and who do you say that I am? It's, it's the, the process of faithfulness mm -hmm. the, and, and really, again, and maybe I can say this, especially as someone who has worked for the church for more than two decades, sometimes it's hard to answer that question, honestly, um, because there is a pretty obvious Sunday school answer, <laughs> right? Right, right? So, um, I think it's a, a great question to be for me to ask and answer earnestly mm -hmm. and to give space to come into the fullness of that. Um, it's, it's opportunity for faith to be, you know, honest for faith to have integrity for, um, faith to grow in mm -hmm. that space and it's honest confession. Mm -hmm. What about you, Pastor Joel? I find myself drawn to this idea of the beloved, mm -hmm. um, where God names Christ not only as son, but beloved, um, that you would think that those two are intertwined, and, and perhaps they are, but that it's important enough to God that God's going to call this out too. Um, and I, I, I love the, the concept of that word. I love the fact that God claims uh, Jesus as beloved, that God claims us as beloved. Mm -hmm. Um, that when we see clearly, mm -hmm. and that's what we see. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, uh, it's a good conversation. I hope that um, Sunnysiders and friends, you, you all had a good time reading this part of Mark, even if it may have left you with more questions than answers, as God's word is apt to do, uh, tends to do. Um, and yeah, thanks for having this conversation with me, Pastor Susan. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Joel. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and, and feedback Sunnysiders and friends always game to talk about Bible. So we That's look right. forward to it. Thanks. See you next week.